Hello and welcome to the Slow Home Podcast. This is episode number 120. It is a hostful. G'day everyone. I, I love hostfuls. I love hostfuls What too. I don't like about hostfuls is having to record them twice though. Oh look, I yeah, fair enough. <laughs> is this where the, the part where I apologise? Well, I have to say the one that we did record where only one microphone oh. was working was probably the best episode we've ever done. No, you're wrong. This is the best episode we've no, ever done. I like it. I like it. Yeah, so welcome to our Hostful. Now, Hostfuls used to be the end of every month or the beginning of every month. I can't remember. I think the end of every month. Now they're just random. Mm -hmm. Keep you on your toes. Yep. So before we get into it, is there any announcements you'd like to make? Any announcements? Mm, Nope. (laughs) (laughs) Let's get into it. Okay. question that has come through and it's come through a lot of in a lot of different ways from a lot of different people and it's all around social media Mm. okay so what people want to know and i'm paraphrasing a number of questions here is how do you fit social media in to a slower lifestyle it's a good question it's a common question as well because i think we often feel like it's at odds with living a slower life. Personally, I put it in a box of things that is nice to engage in sometimes, but it's not that important. And that's kind of controversial because I wouldn't have the job that I have if it wasn't for social media and, you know, communities online and things like that. But I just can't make it a hugely important thing. Mm. You know, I, I enjoy it. it. There's elements of it that are really fun. Genuinely, there's elements of it that really suck genuinely and i try and just stay in the fun elements of it to be perfectly honest because it i've been there before it can be addictive it can be this thing that has not only it doesn't only waste time that's the thing that is so damaging i think about social media or can be so damaging it doesn't just waste time it's not just a procrastination tool if that was the worst that it did then you know like it's like any other procrastination tool that we've had over the decades but it It forces, well, it doesn't force, it encourages comparison between online lives and real life lives. It encourages us versus them and, you know, engaging with stories and and ideas and hashtags that, that aren't positive for us, you know, that aren't, that aren't going to help us or serve us in any kind of positive way. And, as Jonathan Fields said in his interview a couple of weeks ago, it's designed to keep you in there. Like it's designed to do that. And when we're not aware of it, we get sucked in and, you know, all of a sudden it's an hour later and we just, we've lost that hour. Yes. But we also feel heaps worse about our lives. So I really encourage like an awareness about how we deal with social media and what we're using it for. And, you know, kind of taking Anthony on car idea of breaking the twitch you know and stopping yourself before you enter the app and why am i here what am Mm. i doing do i have a reason to be here if not maybe 
don't open the app and perhaps do what I've done and remove all the social media apps off your phone. That's huge. You know, like I did that when we traveled, I think either at the beginning of the year in April and just never put them back on. I do have Instagram mm. because I really quite like Instagram. But you are. A, you love it, Insta. Yeah, I, I do. It's my, fa- it's my favorite So if you media. were to look at your social media appetite mm-hmm. and your use of social media, where do you spend the most amount of time? Instagram. So what would that be? 70% of your social media time? Yeah. And that sounds like a lot, but 70% of not a lot of time. But yes, it would be like that's the social media that I would open first. I have a, Twitter? No, Twitter's... I don't use Twitter a great deal. Yeah. Um, something happened to Twitter over the last 12 months and I feel like people just yell at each other there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't like, hate it, but yeah. I feel like the conversations have waned significantly and that's probably because I'm spending less time there as well. Yeah. Uh, Facebook is definitely second... Yeah. second sort of social media channel. And I have a love-hate relationship with Facebook. There are some wonderful communities there that I'm part of, uh, both as, you know, a founding person and then also just as a member. And there's a lot to be learnt, but you also do need to be super aware of the information that you're letting into your feed. Mm-hmm. I've been really quite heavy-handed with the unfollow uh, button right. recently. Yeah. It's good to have a social media declutter sometimes. Absolutely. Yeah, Yeah. I encourage you to do that. And if you've got someone who you're friends with who has different political views or who keeps posting stuff and you're like, dude, I don't care, Mm. just unfollow them. You're still friends with them. They don't know that you're not looking at their posts anymore, but you don't have to see it. And then Mm. that way you can actually make Facebook a place that is full of things that you do want to know about and that you do want to see and that do make you feel good Mm. or connected or informed. Uh, You know, it can be a place for good. It doesn't have to be this pit of, you know, people who make you feel anxious or sad or angry. And that's up to you to a certain extent. So I would highly recommend that you start using the unfollow button or block button, um, you know, heavy handedly when needed. Yeah. And removing apps on your phone is a really good idea. But if that's a step too far, even like putting those apps on the last page slash screen of your Mm. phone as well. Yeah. You know, like you just gives to, you that you extra have to swipe exactly. a couple of times till you get there. That extra step that gives you the opportunity to go. Do I? Yeah. Uh, do I really? Or want it's just to? not front of mind when it's not on your homepage yeah. or on your little. Because um... that's the thing. You you get on there to check the weather, yeah. for example, and then you see the little Instagram yeah. app right there, and your on. thumb just goes yeah. there. It's yeah. like muscle memory. So you need to do something that that sets that up that sets that apart from. You know your your muscle memory kind of reaction. Mm. The other thing that I've been using before we quickly before we go on to the next question is an app called Forest, which is a uh, it's a pr- productivity app on iPhone. I'm not sure if it's available for Android. It's two or three dollars, I think. But it is essentially a Pomodoro mm. timer, but it has this little screen that visualizes you growing a tree. So you set a timer, say, for 25 minutes, and over that 25 minutes, you've got a tree that grows. And if you open up your phone in that 25 minutes and you click away from that screen, your tree dies. (laughs) But if you get get to your 25 minutes, you get to keep your tree and you plant it in your forest, you see? And it's just simply gamification of the Pomodoro technique, but it's actually quite effective. I so, think we should develop an app where it's not a tree but a zombie. Okay. <laughs> oh, 
complete tangent, found out about this app the other day that is a learn to run app, like you catch to 5k, except that the way it encourages you to run is by playing zombie noises in your ears. So you're like, okay, I'm going for a walk. The zombie horde is coming, run, run. And you sprint for 10 seconds and then, phew, I made it. That is brilliant. Yeah. Uh, I reckon also another one would be a learn to swim app and you have like the Jaws music. <laughs> but who wears headphones <laughs> Fundamental flaw right there. So right. first you need to design underwater I think headphones. they do exist, okay. but they're very expensive. But they're Probably go. completely unnecessary. <laughs> uh, Moving on. Wow. So there's a few opportunities for people to use if they they yeah. find themselves a little bit addicted to the, the social media. The socials. Yeah, so just break the twitch. So take the apps off your phone if you can manage it, even mm-hmm. just for a day or even just for the weekend. Experiment mm-hmm. with it and see how you feel. Yeah. Maybe do a digital detox for a weekend as well and tell someone so that you're accountable for it. Uh, or if you can't face or can't cope or can't remove the social media apps, perhaps you need it for work, at least put them on your fin- the final page of your phone, like the mm. final screen of your phone. Mm. And just ask yourself before you click on that app, why am I here? Am mm. I just procrastinating? And if you're just procrastinating, maybe stand up and you know stretch your legs or something like that and then get back to what you're actually meant to be doing. Good stuff. Now, another theme which is very, very relevant. This is very timely is all about news and how to limit and avoid the overwhelm of news that at the moment Mm. seems to be worse than an episode of The Walking Dead. So, You mean the anxiety? Yeah, exactly. So what's your take on news and how do you... You've very strong opinions on news and how do you limit your intake of Mm. news? Yeah, so this is super timely at the moment. And I've actually had quite a lot of people reach out to me in the last week and ask, like, what can we do when the news of the day is making me anxious or sad or angry or, you know, insert negative emotion here? And then it's, but it's not only the news, it's also the, you know, the opinion pieces and stuff, which is not necessarily news, but no. in today's media those two things are kind of presented as the same thing they do and that's something i have a huge problem with and it's a big reason why i actually don't engage with a great deal of news at all i know i said that i don't love twitter Mm. um, as a place to have conversations but i do use twitter as my go-to news kind of it's a news it's a news wire it is you know and when something happens and the first thing that i you know, the first example I come up with is when the Paris attacks happened last year. Twitter is where I first heard heard about it, first of all. But that's also where I went to be able to pick unbiased or mm. as unbiased as possible news stories and news stories that weren't just, um, you know, playing on people's anxieties and terrors and, yeah. you know, and angers as well and trying to find news rather than opinion and news rather than anecdotes. Um, and so I do use social media in that way to sort of cherry pick the news that I engage with and not so that I get a picture of the world that I want. Yeah. It's that you can cherry pick for good and you can cherry pick for bad. You can mm. say, well, I don't want to know about that. So I'm, mm. you know, I'm not going to engage with it. I rather use it to find news that is news, not news that's opinions. 
But since we had the kids, I haven't watched the news. I, I couldn't, first mm. of all. I think a lot of new parents go through that that shift where they can't engage with that horrible, the horrible news of the world, particularly if it's relating to kids. But I think your sensitivities oh, yeah. change, mm. or at least it did for me. So I just stopped. I stopped reading the newspaper and I stopped watching the news. And I find now that when I want to learn more about a story or a current event, I go looking for it. I don't let it in front of me just to, you know, completely fill my feed with stories that I may or may not need to know about. And I think at some point, even with big global global issues or, you know, a, a huge event, at some point it shifts from news and becoming informed to like tragedy porn. Mm. And that's not healthy or helpful. Mm. And I'm saying that as someone who <laughs> I collected newspaper clippings for many weeks when Princess Diana died. Like, mm. So I was well in there and I know that. And at some point, and I was a, you know, quite a bit younger, obviously, but at some point I realized that this is not helping. Like, why am I keeping this stuff? And I kind of take that same approach now to why am I reading the 13th article about this horrible thing that just happened that's rehashing the same facts and just making me feel worse. I'm not learning anything. I'm mm. just wallowing, you mm. know. So I think it's an awareness of learning what's going on and then just stepping away from it, which is easier said than done, I understand. But um, otherwise, it's just going to negatively impact your your view of the world, you know. Yeah. You, you've almost got to treat news at the moment. You've got to go into it with your imaginary sort of shield up yeah. to protect yourself because you are getting a lot of commentary presented as facts and it's just that's just wrong um so you've got to look through the bias of every mm. everything so you 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 yeah you're i don't know your imaginary whip and chair or something you know you've got to fight the <laughs> i can just imagine keep you. the lines at bay so news is just facts. Hang, hang on is that a fact though or yeah, did you make that up it is really yeah so yeah you just got to treat you've got to say a fact so Someone did something today, like it's just plain facts. Yes. There's nothing. There was a car that. accident on this road. Well, whatever. Yeah. You know, it's you just treat it as that's news. Anything other than that is the paint. And that's the they paint this picture. Mm-hmm. And they that's where they, you know, can that thing confuse and influence people. Mm. So I I mean my life and career has been in the news industry. You know, I read basically every paper mm. every morning for years and now i don't have to do that anymore are you but happier for it yeah i i am i am because i just I've, i feel like i've been burnt by news right yeah in what ways just just because i can see when i pitch a story and how it can become news and how it's not necessarily news that's right do you know what i mean like yeah. the, just the interest and the self-interest of things and then the flip side of that is you can see how something that is a story, like mm. a genuine story that people should know about, mm. doesn't get yeah. any news time exactly. because it doesn't fit with whatever agenda. The agenda. Yeah. yeah. It's, so it's really important to not bury your head in the sand. Obviously. Absolutely, which is the other thing. Which is the other thing. Yeah. Because I think that has happened to an extent this year in, in you know international news. Huh. Is yeah. that there's been a lot of head bearing. But look... I, I'm skeptical of news as well. 
So I have really limited my my news um, appetite. Mm. I think the other thing that people really want to kind of talk about is what to do when the news, regardless of where you look, mm. is one that gives you anxiety mm-hmm. or makes you sad or hyper aware of, you know, injustices or, or what have you. And I think that at some point an acceptance of what has happened is important. Yep. And I'm not suggesting denial. I'm not suggesting head in the sand action, but carrying on with the things that you can do in your day to day, because stressing out, I'm, this, I, I'm struggling mm. to say this because mm. some of the, the, the things that have happened in the world over the last week have left people reeling, you know, mm. and I think that it's really hard when you're feeling like that and feeling hopeless, it's really hard to move ahead. Mm. Absolutely. And I completely understand that. And I think at some point though, the only thing that we can do is to move forward in the way that we want to live. We can't necessarily change world events we, we can't and particularly ones that have already happened mm. but what we can impact is how we act going forward we can choose how we treat people we can choose how we respond and that is not easy sometimes particularly if we're faced with you know vitriol or mm. emotion but we can choose how we react and we can choose how we treat people uh, including ourselves so i think well said. Thanks. Well said. <laughs> Let's move on to the next question. Okay. We have a question that is all about books. Yes. And you're obsessed with books. How do you limit books in the home? Um, this is from uh, Jeannie. She says, I tend to procure books because I'm a rabid reader. I try and use my Kindle, but sometimes I find books secondhand. Do you donate right away or are books a problem for your household too? They probably used to be. We, oh, yeah. We've probably let go of, I don't know, the vast majority, 80% maybe of all the books that we've ever owned. I reckon we got rid of like 40 books in the Declutter Challenge. We did, yeah. Week. Yeah, yeah. And that yeah. was after we'd trimmed, yeah. <laughs> you know, significantly. But I used to keep books that I was never going to read again. I used to keep books that I didn't like. Those all went, you know, a few years ago. And I had no problem with that. Some people, I think, really have an attachment to books. So really no issue if you love your books keep your books mm. if you, having books in your home makes your home feel like a home then keep them you know i think books are wonderful um i just went to the local secondhand bookshop on the weekend and bought i, I don't know how many stephen king books seven Ten? yeah <laughs> so i i'm happy to bring books into our home also really happy to let them go so mm. we'll read them We'll sell them back to the secondhand bookshop. Yeah, I'll finish a book and then give it away straight away. Exactly. So I, unless it's a book that I know I will reread time and time again, of which there aren't many, but there are a few, I'll keep those and surround myself myself with those books. But the others, I, I feel like book ownership is more fluid. Mm. You know, I don't have a, a particular reason to hold on to books that I'm never going to read again. So we share books with your family, with my family. And, uh, yeah, I feel like books are there to be shared, you know. I don't want the resources that go into the book to just sit on my shelf for 20 years and never actually be used anymore. So I used to have a Kindle on my iPad. Uh, I said the Kindle app on my iPad. And I read that a lot. I read probably – that was probably the most voracious I ever read 
in my life when I had the Kindle on my iPad. Yeah. But that's because the iPad actually affected my sleep and I would sit up in bed for three or four hours most nights reading until way after midnight. So as much as I loved reading that much, I didn't love how sleep deprived I was. And when my iPad got tossed downstairs accidentally by a three-year-old, I wasn't actually that sad. You didn't miss it, did you? I didn't. Well, you know what? I did. I did miss it for a little while, but I decided to go and check out the library. The Mm. library is awesome. Yeah, So I will check out an armful of books at the library and, and I don't care what anyone says, like having a book, holding onto a book is so much so better. So much better. So much better. I'd forgotten mm. when I was, mm. you know, head first into my Kindle, how nice it was to hold a book. Um, but yeah, I'm down with the real book. I'm However, f- you once, twice a year, if, you're, if you've read some good books that you've borrowed or were given and then you've given away, you'll often go and buy them. Stephen King's on writing. Yes. You know, there's a, there's a handful of books that you will buy every year because you will reread them. Totally. Yeah. And I'm, that's, and that's what I mean. I'm not going to get rid of those books because I love them. They become mm. dog-eared and I mark them up and I reread mm. them. Uh, and they, they form part of my personal like philosophy, my worldview. Mm. So some books will always remain like, um, one, th- uh, not one flew over the cuckoo's nest. Bird by bird. Well, yes, <laughs> but also to kill a mockingbird. <laughs> <laughs> I like books with birds in them. Uh, so those books I'll keep. Well, I'll never let those ones go, you know. Um, but I think generally a more fluid idea of book ownership and just join the local library. No, but even like when you've read them like on mm-hmm. a Kindle or something. Yes. You're, you know, you've went out and bought them. For that exact reason. Copy. I like highlighting yeah. and yeah, yeah. making notes and carrying the book with me and... Mm. So we totally agree. We, like books are massive dust collectors and they can be problematic if you're obsessed with books like Brooke is. Yeah, but they're not problematic. But, but, but problematic for clut in terms of clut, if, if, if you didn't manage it like we do, do you sure. know what I mean? Like it could be quite, could be quite an issue. Yes. No, no, I agree with that. But they're not problematic in our house mm. anymore. And there's the flip side of wanting to support the publication industry yeah. and how important that is exactly yeah it's a good question (laughs) vanessa has written in and would love to hear our whys Mm. we always talk we we talk about this quite regularly don't we we do i'm a huge believer in the importance and the value of knowing your why i'm sure if you've listened to the podcast for any length of time you would have heard me talk about it as probably one of the most important first steps that you can take in creating this kind of slower, simpler life that you want because it looks different to everyone. And if you're using someone else's reasons for simplifying and slowing down, you're going to get to a point where they don't actually align with your values. So I think it's always so key to to understand your values and what it is that you hold important and use them as your inspiration and motivation to make the difficult decisions and have the tricky conversations that will come with changing the way that you live. So for me, my why is essentially kind of couched in what my life looks like when I look back. I want to look back when I'm, you know, 85 years old, if, you know, if I'm fortunate enough to, to live to 85 years old, look back and say, 
that was really freaking good to not have a life of regret. Like I don't want to get to the end of my life and realize, ah, oh, that was it. Like yeah. that was the stuff, you know, mm. the hard days and the, the full weeks and the overstuffed calendar and, you know, the constant cleaning, like, that was mm. it. That was life, mm. you know? And I think I, I, I wrote a eulogy a few years ago that actually turned out to be the most transformative Mm. instructive thing that I've done Mm. in this entire process. And it was about not only who, what was said in my eulogy, but who was saying it. Mm. And in my mind's eye, it was my kids delivering my eulogy. And they had, (laughs) they had stories of adventure and spontaneous travels and crazy plans and fun and time spent together in generosity and the thing that they said at the end was mum thank you for our roots and thank you for our wings Mm. and to me that right there the the picture the image of my grown adult kids delivering that eulogy to a room full of people who you know who knew me was it that's my why and I I I really (laughs) I get I get emotional when I think about it because mm. of course I'm emotional I'm crying right now. <laughs> you know, it's it's heavy but not in a bad way. Mm. It's important mm. to think about that stuff because it's so easy not to. It makes us super uncomfortable to think about that stuff and a lot of people don't want to think about it. And I get it. Mm. I absolutely get it. We do a lot to avoid being uncomfortable. But that's a question. What is my why that is so important and so instructive Mm. and so individual? But it's what do I want to leave behind? I genuinely want to leave the the world better than I found it in really small ways and hopefully in bigger ways as well. And that basically instructs everything every decision that we make Mm. imperfectly like completely imperfectly but it's there you know what's yours oh honey it's uh, i don't i don't have one now to that extent i felt like you've you have developed yours over absolutely a long time a long time years Mm -hmm. i feel like i'm not even close to mine and what why i say that is because beginning of this year so much has changed Mm. For the better, mm. for the better, and I can already see that. But I, where I, I feel like my journey has only just started, mm. and I, I don't actually know, and I and can't articulate my why as beautifully as you can at the moment. So I'm not going to try. But all I can say is that I feel like I'm finally moving in the right direction. Mm. Did your why come? Was it like an enlightenment period? Or did it, has it come over time? I think it came over time, but I didn't realize it. Mm. I remember sitting in that apartment in Canada the first time that we were there. Because oh, yeah. I bought this little book called 643 Tiny Things to Write About. Like mm. I wanted to get back into creative writing and it was a prompt book. Randomly flipped open to a page and it said, write your eulogy in three sentences. And I did. And I was able to. Mm. And I didn't realize that I had that stuff there Mm. 
until I looked back and looked at all the changes that that I had made and we had made, but I had done a lot of head work over the past two or three years previous to that, that allowed me to do it. So I didn't realize, but it was evolving and, and kind of clarifying over time. And then I sat down and I asked that question and I was able to give an answer and it keeps changing, Mm. shifting, not, not, not hugely, but kind of clarifying and, and, getting more specific in terms of what that actually looks like because it's really it's kind of easy to say those broad umbrella things like i want to leave the world a better place what do you mean Mm, in what way that's it yeah and i think that's where we that's what i've developed Mm. like those broad themes like prior to the last 10 years or 10 years before this year i it was all about career like it was my single focus Mm. career to the point of being really really unhealthy and now I know that what's more important is family, is giving back to the community. But I can't, I, I need to dig deeper yeah. and explore what are the threads underlying all that. And that's where I think I'll carve out my why and hopefully that will happen. And I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful that I'll be able to share it via this podcast mm. once it does. So it's okay not to have your why, right? Yes, and that's the thing. I had someone talk to me at, recently at an event and she was really upset because she's like, I'm struggling to find it. I don't know what it is. But then she went on to tell me about all these changes that mm. she'd made in her life and this beautiful self-awareness that she had and the fact that she knew she didn't know yet mm. was mm. wonderful because she, she knew that, you know, and I think, of course, it's okay. And the other thing is your why doesn't need to be your work. It doesn't need to be your family, you know, like I think people think that that means that if they want to, you know, make the world better, they need to run a charity. You know what I mean? It doesn't need to be, it can be as small as the way you interact with people. It can be the feeling that you leave people with once you've spoken to them. It can be your garden and the way that you fill it with love and that you invite people to enjoy enjoy it. It can be the way you serve your community. You know, they don't need to be, it doesn't need to be your work. And it doesn't need to be a legacy in terms of a family Mm. or financial output Mm. or anything like that. And I think... But that's the mentality of a lot of people. It was mentality for me. Totally. But I just think it's it's okay to not know yet. I think if we just keep asking those questions... How often do you think we should revisit our why? I don't know. I don't know. I don't do it like explicitly sitting down every three months or anything like that. Mm. But... um, at the moment I'm writing about it because I'm writing my book Mm. and I'm writing about that particular experience and I'm revisiting it Mm. and it's, uh, emotional. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks very much, Vanessa, for that question. Thanks for making us cry. But seriously, uh, it is a wonderful question. Oh, it is. Yeah. Yeah. Joey calls in. G'day, Joey. How are you? Would you like to share your question? Yeah, thanks, guys. How do you recover from a really busy or stressful period? (laughs) Thanks, Joey. Thanks for calling in, Joey. Thanks, Joey. Uh, This is is also timely because we've actually come through probably a month, maybe six. Hang on a minute. What accent did Joey have? What was that? In my head, I had Joey. Joey was his New Yorker, for sure. Really? Yeah, why? Can Joey come back and talk again? No. Okay. Joey's gone. <sighs> Sorry, go go ahead. Um, I think 
this is timely because we've come through a month or six weeks of quite a busy period that is not ideal. Like it's not the, the, the busy level that we want. First of all, that's okay. You know, we acknowledge the fact that there are seasons in life. There's going to be periods where it's busier than we'd want. And then there's going to be periods where we can enjoy things being slower, but how do we deal with it and recover? I think the first thing that Joey has, has done is acknowledge that there is and has been a period of stressful, busy time. And just acknowledging that is really important because you're saying that's not the new normal. I'm yeah. just coming out the end of that. I don't need to operate at that level of stress and busyness all the time. That's just, it is what it was. It was project related. It was, you know, relationship related, whatever the stress was. Mm-hmm. I'm on the other side of it now and it is not the new normal. put it in its place. And then by acknowledging that you can just simply acknowledge the fact that you do need to recover from periods of busyness and stress, I think. And that in and of itself is really freeing. It's liberating. You can say, yeah, I do need some downtime because of this that I've just come through. I think so. So in order, how how does that actually look, you know, practically, I think you need to say no more on the other side of that busyness. If you feel like you need to recover and have a bit of downtime or buffer, I guess, Start to say no more. And so what if no is... That's a pretty blunt response in some instances. It is, yes. Uh, Kelly Exeter talks about let me come back to you, hmm. which I think is brilliant. And I've started using it more myself. Because basically it does two things. It gives you the opportunity to step back and consider whether you do want to do this thing that you've been asked to do or invited to. And it also gives the, uh, the, the, the asker time and understanding that the answer might be no and it gives them an opportunity to get used to that as well so i think that creating that little bit of buffer between the asking and the answering sort of relieves the pressure of feeling like you have to say yes immediately and the expectation that your answer will be yes from the asker how do you say no do you say no yeah, this this year's been very hard to say no because obviously starting up a business you want to say yes to a lot of different things. Mm. I've I've said no, you know it's hard to say no to friends and family when you know, they want you to do something, but then you're being pulled in in different directions. I feel more comfortable in saying no now. Put it that way. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> but I, but to answer your question, I want to say no more. Right. Yeah, look, again, I think it's a seasonal thing and this is kind of... <laughs> what? The winter of no. <laughs> yeah. So once you've said no or you've accepted that you'll need to start saying no, there's a few other things that you can do in order to recover. I think drop your standards for a little while, leave things undone. You know, Sounds it's like... so funny, doesn't it? Drop your standards. Yeah, but that's actually been a big change for me. Yeah. Like, sometimes things oh, you mean just like don't stuff like cleaning and yeah or whatever yeah, it might be yeah. but you know it's okay for those things to remain undone sometimes mm. it's okay for the bathroom to go two weeks between cleans it's okay yeah. that there's mess on the floor and you're relaxing like that's all okay mm. uh you know do what needs doing but but drop your standards and, and be okay with that do you know one of the big things for me to is is sleep Yes. And people probably would not be surprised at this. This is from a guy that used to go to sleep at like 7, 7.30 on a Sunday Mm. just because he knows he has a busy week coming up. But seriously, if you're really busy and stressed, sleep recharges you. It sounds ridiculous and so (laughs) obvious. 
sleep heals you as well. Yeah. It, that's your body healing itself. And I think it's both physically and mentally slash stress in, in a stress way as well. Yeah. Often if I've been really stressed and I'm thinking about it and like it's just, I just go, oh, I could just go to bed. I've woken up in the morning and I've had clarity like mm-hmm. nothing else. It's so weird. No, I don't, it's, well, yeah. And like solutions to problems. Exactly. You're giving yourself a bit of space and you're not engaging with it, mm. you know, and the freaking power, out over it. The power of sleep is, I think, needs to be made a priority during a stressful time. Yeah, during, exactly. During yeah. the period of stress and then also in terms of recovering, recovering from it. From it yeah. But at the moment, as I mentioned before, we've had a lot going on. And one thing that I'm really glad of is that our sleep hasn't suffered. Mm. Like often I used to, I would stay up till midnight or, you know, really push through in order to get things finished. But what I'd find is I wasn't actually that productive or effective mm. after a certain period of time. Yeah. So if I go to sleep, get a good solid sleep, I can smash out the work a lot more effectively the next day. So it's sort of this false economy of, oh, I'm going to work till two o'clock in the morning uh, because I'm not a night person. Like I'm a morning person. And I think it depends on you, like your kind of makeup and where you prefer to work, yeah. but I'm not a night owl. Uh, yeah, but sleep and, you know, using that, that downtime to recover and rest. And then by doing, by focusing on that, I think you can minimize other things like screen time. Uh, you know, and really focus on recharging and looking after yourself. Yeah, Good food, awesome. lots yeah, of water. Food, yeah. yeah, like healthy food, lots of water. Just just taking time to prioritize yourself and, you know, recharging those batteries. The next question and final question, I think, for today's episode is from Jan. And she writes, what are the negatives of slow living? So many negatives. <laughs> this is, I think this is a good question, actually. I think this plays into your fears so much, this question. My fears? Yeah. Can you elaborate on that, please? Well, what about the recent, recently our kids at school, both of them, asking their friends whether they could borrow a toy? <laughs> and you, and your way of dealing that was, where, oh, they don't have toys at home because we don't buy toys. And they're missing out on it and where we're not giving them, you know, all that sort of stuff. That's, I think that plays on your. That wasn't my belief. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Your fear. Yeah. It wasn't my belief. I don't think my kids are missing out and they do have toys and they have plenty of things to keep them occupied. But when they turn around, yes. Yeah. They turn around and had asked friends to borrow a toy which is, I think, just what kids do. Totally. But I took that and ran with it. I'm like, oh, my God. Yeah. You know, I'm doing the complete wrong thing by them, which I know. I absolutely know that I'm not, but it did tap into insecurities and judgments that I've gotten over the years. And the guilt. And the guilt, yeah. So I think really the, the, the negative aspect of slow living is that you kind of need to be on your toes all the time when you're living counterculturally, which I think – Choosing to live a slower, simpler life is living counterculturally because we're going against the flow most of the time. And I think that that sometimes gets tiring is the wrong word, but it's kind of a constant um, wading against the current, you know, that, that you mm. feel. You can't mm. help but feel. And sometimes that current's strong if you're feeling judged or if you're feeling concerned that you're doing the wrong thing. And look, we might be. I don't think we are, but 
it's mm. possible, I suppose. And I think it's that... People make mistakes. Totally. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that that's probably... It's it's the the energy expenditure of living counterculturally, I guess, mm. which can be emotional. Um, you know, sometimes it can be emotional like energy. It can be physical mm. energy. <laughs> can be decision-making energy and willpower and that kind of thing. What about you? There's not too many negatives. No, there's really not. I love the conversations you have with acquaintances that know that, you know, they're saying one example recently was, oh, is Brooks still doing that slow living thing? (laughs) It's like this trend, this passing trend. It is. Like they just, it's just so funny hearing that and that they put you in a box. Exactly. But I don't think there's whole heap of negatives well we've just we've learnt to just deal with that sort of it's the assumptions more than anything i think that um i don't i don't mind talking them through but when they're kind of delivered in a scathing way like i was talking to to someone a while back now about what i did and what i wrote about and and, you know the podcast and stuff and they said it's about slow living she's like so what like everyone just needs to be staying at home be holy homemaker like, oh, oh wow. that's an interesting take on it. Yeah. Um, no, no, that's not at all what it's about. Uh, so those kinds of things. And that's more about other people's either misunderstanding of what it is or, you know, coming from, from their place of defensiveness more than anything. And I think 99% of the time you view that as an opportunity to have a conversation. But sometimes I think maybe when you've had a few of those conversations or you've just felt judged more than normal – it can be a bit wearying. Yeah. Yeah. But that's it. Like, honestly. I just like the connotations that people build in their mind and then project mm. about slow living. Like, you're a hippie. You're a vegetarian. Yes. Vegan. Yes. No. Um, but, you know, you're a greenie. You live off the grid. You know, like, they just build this yeah. picture in their mind about what the whole slow living thing is oh, I had such... and then minimalism also on the yes. other hand is like you must be scandinavian or something <laughs> oh, you live so in a white box do you have a white house mm. and <laughs> stuff i had That's a really natural for people to do that well i think people like labels yeah. because it's, it's easier if you can label what it is and you kind of fit people's decisions and and lifestyle into a box mm. We're more comfortable with that. Yeah. Yeah, You can go, well, you're over here in this box and I'm over here in this box. I had a really interesting conversation with someone recently um, about slow living and what it meant. And we came at it from really different ends of the spectrum. For me, it was mindset. And I think that it's accessible to everyone because it's about how you choose to spend your time and, um, you know, the things that are important to you and living kind of a values centered life that is not on the agenda of other people. And that you can take that philosophy and apply it to everything, absolutely everything in your life. And this other person was coming at it from what I kind of like to call the, the hashtag slow living, which is if you go, go to Instagram and like check out hashtag slow living, there's beautiful posts, lots of inspiration, lots of really great things happening, but there's also a very real aesthetic there that I think people have confused for living a slower life. Like you can do both, but hashtag slow living isn't necessarily the full picture. You know, Mm. it's lots of um, color coordinated neutrals and forest bathing and slow design and all those kinds of things, all of which fit in under the umbrella of slow. 
But I think it's like minimalism as a lifestyle versus minimalism as an aesthetic, not necessarily the same thing can be, but not necessarily. necessarily. So it's, it's sort of interesting to see, to have those conversations with people where they might challenge you because they have an assumption of what slow living looks like. And then you can either say, well, yes, that is what it looks like for us, or it looks like this instead. And, you know, yeah, they're not, it's, that's really interesting. And I just thought of maybe a why is that I'd love to influence people to live at even just to start thinking about living an alternative way rather than the fast consumerist society that we are, mm. but not in a, an extreme way that people find uncomfortable, like being accessible. That's exactly, exactly. That's what I think. Honestly, most people who are interested in simplifying and slowing down want. Mm. Most people can't shift off to the country or they Mm. don't want to. Mm. Or most people don't want to live in a tiny home. Mm. Uh, Most people aren't, they don't have the, you know, the either the resources or the time available to make all of their own stuff from scratch, you know, and none of that's actually necessary in order to live a slower life. You talk to someone like um, B Johnson, who I spoke from zero waste, home spoke to her last year and even she who is someone who's quite hardcore in her zero waste living principles she has a much more accessible approach to it than people assume so yeah i think there's something really important in that that was kind of a wide-ranging answer for you jan sorry (laughs) but i think it's um it's tough to find a true negative to the way we're living now it is now we're we're sort of through that now i just don't care to be honest if people have an opinion Mm. On, on what we're doing that's fine they're entitled to it but it doesn't bother me anymore mm. being on tv and having your house ripped to shreds by, <laughs> by yeah. internet commenters certainly helps uh build up that external shell but uh i think even initially when we first started the, the only negative really was that it was hard work really and that was just in terms of decluttering and simplifying and choosing choosing the things that we we're going to pay attention to and, and the things that weren't that was just it was just hard work yeah. But that's it. The, the benefits of it were massive and many. That's it. That's us. Thank you for joining us. That was, a, that was great. You guys asked some cracking questions. I think we'll probably have one more hostful before the end of the year. Yeah, we'll do a Christmas spectacular. Jingle bells, something rather. Uh, yes, we will. But if you, so if you have questions, head over to Christmas Facebook. questions, festive questions, holiday questions... I don't know, family questions, zombie questions. Zombie questions. <laughs> Anything. Mostly zombie questions, please. Thank you for joining us. Have a good week. Jack Rabbit FM. For your ears. Who is that? Hi, Puck.